Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that puts a magnifying glass to the role of cars and transport in our society and tries to burn a hole in it. I'm David Brown and in this program we look at news stories from around the world, including a study that confirms the effectiveness of low-speed autonomous emergency braking. We talk about a futurist view and what it means for motoring and transport. We road test the Nissan Triple S sedan, and in our panel discussion with Errol Smith and Brian Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories including Batman saves a baby trapped inside a locked car. He was five years old. Batman, that is, not the rescued child. Have a question or a comment? Send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, let's get the program going. First, the news. A consortium of Audi, BMW and Daimler have agreed to purchase Nokia's HERE mapping for 2.8 billion euros, or about 3 billion US dollars. Nokia is selling its maps division as part of an effort to focus on its telecommunications business. Recently, Overdrive attended a traffic engineering and transport planning conference where HERE mapping was attending. One of the great features of HERE mapping is that they will map the street system down to the lane level. So the information is not just that two streets, for example, intersect, but the lane configuration and lane markings will also be captured. This could be the basis for car navigation system and ultimately autonomous cars. The importance of mapping technology to cars cannot be underestimated. Euro's NCAP and our own ANCAP, the independent safety bodies for Europe and Australasia, has released the advanced publication of the effectiveness of low-speed autonomous emergency braking, or AEB. Autonomous emergency braking is where the vehicle senses that an accident is likely with an obstacle in front of the vehicle and so automatically applies the brakes without input from the driver. The publication reported that low-speed AEB technology leads to a 38% reduction in real-world rear-end crashes. The low-speed option normally consists of an automatic brake function that operates for speeds up to 50 km per hour. A website has released a scornful analysis of the finances of car-sharing company Uber. According to internal financial documents obtained by Gawker, Uber has lost tens of millions of dollars since 2012, and the document suggests that the CEO's boasts about the company's exponential revenue growth may be overblown. They said that the unaudited revenue and expense breakdown for 2013 and 2014 shows that though Uber's net revenue has grown substantially, the company lost more than $56 million dollars in 2013. By the first half of 2014 alone, that number had leapt to more than $160 million. There is also some bad news for Uber in Australia. Fair prices are likely to rise now that the tax department has ruled that Uber has to pay GST of 10% on all fares. A recent study shows that young drivers who take a defensive driving course are more likely to be caught committing traffic offences. 
In New Zealand, taking a Defensive Driving Course, or DDC, qualifies the driver for a time discount of six months during the 18-month restricted licence stage. A University of Otago research paper published in the Journal of Safety Research has surveyed a group who has taken the course and a group who has not. Once the group that had done the driver training course moved into the first year of their full licence, they had a 10% higher experience of receiving a traffic offence notice after taking into account other factors such as age, gender and drug and alcohol use. South Australia has become the first state in Australia to provide detailed guidance for local councils on the installation and use of sharrows on South Australian streets. A sharrow, or shared lane marking, is an innovative road treatment consisting of a bike logo and two arrows that advise bike riders where to ride and motorists where to expect cyclists on low traffic streets. Local councils can install the low-cost treatment on low-traffic streets where bike lanes are not warranted and bikes and motor vehicles share the same lane. A trial found that sharrows are effective in encouraging cyclists to position themselves at a safe distance from parked cars. Sharrows are also used in North America and in some countries in Europe such as France and the Czech Republic. In the Northern Territory recently, A major political calamity arose when a private car parking company accessed personal details about car owners such as their address in order to issue fines for overstaying in their parking station. Now, new laws have been passed by the ACT Legislative Assembly that will stop private car park operators from being able to issue fines to Canberra drivers by accessing private information through legal discovery. The changes to road transport laws came as a commercial car park operator sought to use an ongoing court case to collect registration information for several hundred drivers in order to issue fines from a city car park. In Melbourne there is a proposal to create a fleet of five trams where live entertainment would attract passengers. There would be two jazz tram cars, a comedy tram, a piano bar tram, and one devoted to folk, blues, or classical music. The trams that could be used are older W-class trams built by the Melbourne Tramways Corporation between 1923 and 1956. Some are still in operation in Melbourne on tourist routes, but many are sitting unused in a Newport railway yard. Some old trams have been used as buildings. For example, in one Fitzroy school, a tram is a classroom for special purpose activities. But a group of people want to keep the trams actually running on the tracks, along with entertainment inside. What a great idea. And that has been the news. I'm Errol Smith. Uh, Overdrive's David Brown has just been to Brisbane for a traffic engineering and transport planning conference. The first keynote speaker calls himself a futurist. David joins us to talk a little bit about what that means. So, David, what is a futurist? Well, supposedly it's someone that looks into the future, as the name might suggest, although much of his talk was about what had already happened. But 
that that's not necessarily to say is wrong. Uh, the point is you have to be aware of trends in a range of industries to help you prepare for changes because changes are inevitable. They're going to come. The guy's name was Chris Riddle. He also calls himself, and I think fitting in with what I was saying, a trend spotter, a pattern hunter, a digital evangelist, a media co- commentator, a speaker, traveller, and digital dark horse, whatever that means. I, I, mm. and, and, and a buzzword expert. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. It was a very showy performance, but a lot of people enjoyed it. I, I sat down and thought, really, there are probably four things. You can look at the past and project into the future. That's just recognizing trends. You can look at experiences in one area and seeing what they may mean in another. We used to call that benchmarking. Or you can look at what is not there and surmise what should be there. Now, the, the people who are brilliant at this are cosmologists and theoretical physicists. The guy who said there should be something as a boson, and hence the, the Higgs boson, or a black hole, or, or dark matter. Dark matter, the classic example. Looking at everything that's here, the only conclusion we can reasonably make is there's something here that we can't see, mm. which is uh, so really you, you, sticking out, out to it. You, you prove it via emission. Yes. So, yeah. so can, we, can, we, can, we, um, can we prove via emission that there's a traffic jam that we don't know about? <laughs> there might be something into the future where which will totally change our paradigm, if you like. Uh, at the moment, we're very much caught up, to my mind, in a very supply-side debate. You know, I like trains, so the answer to every question is a train. As I think I've said in the past, I, I offended the, the light rail lobby one time by saying that their approach is the answer's light rail, now what's the question? Mm, it's yeah. as though we've already got that. But I, I, I think really looking into the future, we can say, oh, we will have better trains or we'll have better trams or buses or whatever, or cars, of course. Mm. But... I think it's more than that. We've really got to say, you know, what will be our living style and how might we best serve it? Mm. So that's sort of where, where he sort of sees that he fits in with uh, the the whole role of sort of traffic engineering and things. Yeah, he didn't greatly go into traffic engineering. He talked a little bit about a range of subjects um, in a very entertaining way and, and maybe, you know, he's not an expert in the field. And mm. so I think what we've really got to take from a, a, a presentation such as that is an idea of a process, a process of saying, well, as I mentioned those points, you know, let's look at past trends, let's look at other industries, uh, and, and then maybe even think about what's not there. And ultimately what we've got to get to is if, if something is going to be new, what changes in behaviour can this lead to? Mm. So the disrupt- disruptive technologies like like Uber, as they call them. Yeah, U- Uber's a classic example. We're locked mm. in the paradigm of taxis. Taxis is one form of transport. Uh, we're locked in the paradigm of taxis in the city circulating around till they find you. A mm. lot of traffic in the cities is circulating traffic. We tend to think of circulating traffic till you find a parking spot. Well, modern technology may remove most of that random a- activity. You shall not go to the centre of the city unless you have a specific parking spot to go to. So you, you book it ahead of time. Mm. Yes. Or if you're going in there, you will be told where parking spots are and so you go straight there 
and of course it can calculate what's the nearest available parking spot to where you're going. Mm. Mm. He mentioned something, David, called nomophobia. <laughs> now, this is this is apparently something that that if it's affecting you, you're in trouble because you won't be able to use any of these disruptive technologies, will you? Now, what does nomophobia mean? Nomophobia is the fear of being without your mobile phone or a fear of not having a connection. Now, who would have predicted that, I guess? It, it's an indication that we've moved a long way in a little time and that the new changes, in this case phones, have affected us at a level of our very well-being. And, and, and so that's just saying, what happened when mobile phones first came out? They said, oh, it will be an executive toy. Mm. The reality is that a lot of trade people suddenly realised that they can be out on the job and a client can ring them or they can be out on a job and they can order a new load of bricks or sand or cement or whatever. Mm. Or a pizza. Yeah. Or a pizza. So the, the, you know, the fact that we might have seen it initially never really got to the point of saying we will be so dominated by its potential that we eventually end up with this fear, this phobia mm. of not having that connection. Thank you, David. It's uh, been fascinating. And uh, that was David Brown talking about uh, a futurist and other topics from the um, uh, Traffic Engineering and Transport Planning Conference in, in Brisbane for the AITPM, I believe it was. And that interview goes for much longer and can be heard on our website at drivenmedia.com.au where we cover a range of transport subjects, touching on, of course, autonomous cars as well. Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia. The SSS badge on a Nissan used to be a sign of a hot performance car. Now on the Pulsar sedan, it represents a warm sedan. There is not a lot on the exterior either to show it is much more than a normal sedan. Now Nissan bought the SSS badge back to the Pulsar sedan in 2013 and now this Series 2 version has come onto the market. I believe it's some 12 months after it was originally planned because Nissan had to sell the remaining stock of the unloved Tita. The new Triple S sedan is on the market for $27,000 in manual form and about $29,300 for the CVT automatic. Errol Smith and I have been driving the car and he joins me on the line to talk about it now. Errol, how would you sum up this car? It's a practical family car with kick. Okay, nice little alliteration sort of thing there yeah, very good it, it's got a bit that's of a, that, that, to that's it. a that's a trademark of overdrive of course um. <laughs> there's not a lot of people might want to take it but then nonetheless uh, we are talking about a car that in the australian market is called the small car sector uh which is like corollas and mazda threes but uh, you'd have to say this is not really a small car no i think it's i think it's crept over um, in, in, in practical terms. This, this is not a small car anymore. It, it felt quite big on the road, especially the width of it. Um, mm. I really felt like I was in a, 
a reasonably sized car. And um, but it has a lot of room in the in the back. You can carry um, for at least four adults in in quite comfort. Um, and there's a pretty decent boot as well. So you know, four adults with luggage is uh, is um, easy in in this car. Yeah, when we say it is big, so are the rest of the cars in the market. A Corolla hmm. now yeah. is huge compared to the first one that came onto the market in 1966. Yeah, uh, this is about, it's about 4.3 metres long and uh, about hmm. 1.76 wide. It used to, uh, what an old uh, Camry or Magna used to be, it's basically a decade ago, it's about, about that sort of size. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a little bit of Honda here, enough room up front for the average size, and that leaves a lot of room in the back. Uh, you found the driving position good enough? Yeah, I found it. Um, it's quite comfortable. The um, seats are quite good in the um, in the in the Triple S, and um, uh, it's got to be a bit of leather and another sort of you know niceties. Big John, our colleague, who's six foot four or so, uh, found a bit of trouble getting into it. Um, uh, he, he, uh, had to, uh, wiggle a bit just, uh, to get in, to, uh, to make, uh, make it sort of fit. Um, he found that in some ways he got into some smaller cars a bit easier. That's not to say it's bad, but as you say, Earl, the, the rear leg room is, uh, more than adequate. There's, uh, quite a lot there. It gives you plenty of comfort, uh, features. Now the sales figures on it, it's currently going ninth. In the small car category, which we think should be called at least small medium, if not medium themselves, uh, less than $40,000, uh, it's ninth, just a bit ahead of the Ford Focus, which is a pretty good car. Just to be clear, do you mean the Pulsar in general? or The, the Pulsar in general, not yeah, the Triple yeah, S. Not, not necessarily yeah. a Triple S, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, good point to make. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about the other ones that are available. But for every one Pulsar Nissan sells, Corolla sells nearly 5.4 uh, Corollas. Um, Mazda sells about five Mazda 3s as well. So while Corolla has sold over 25,000 cars so far this year, Pulsar has sold 4,700. Uh, so it's uh, quite a significant uh, gap between the two, uh, I think the Pulsar name is quite well known, uh, better than the Tita name was mm. ever known. Well, if, it, if anything, that's why they brought it back. <laughs> yeah. People didn't know what a Tita was. Uh, um, eight years after the Tita had come in, people still knew the name Pulsar better than they knew the name Tita. Mm. Now, uh, with, with style, this is uh, on the outside, it's got a, well, a, a certain conservative look to it, hasn't it? Yeah, it's not a. Um, this is not an in-your-face car. I mean, the, especially the um, the regular Pulsar. Uh, with the Triple S, they've they've sort of tacked on a bit of plastic to try and give it a, a sporty look. Um, mm. I doubt the plastic does anything in terms of um, aerodynamics, um, <laughs> but um, uh, you get a you know rear spoiler, kind of pointless on a front-wheel drive car, um, and um, you know side sort of trim and and the back that they've sort of added bits to the back or given it a different molding which doesn't really doesn't work it's almost um, got a little bit of brock commodore about the back to it hasn't it yes. the back uh, just drops right st almost straight down to the to the um, not to the ground but towards the ground without sort of curving nicely under the back of the car Mm, yeah, it's um. I mean, we, we we shouldn't dismiss it too much. This is a um. It's sort of on the stylish side of conservative, I would say. It's still a bit more interesting than a, um, than a you know the the Corolla or some of the other sort of a little more plain Jane ones. 
Well, that's the Nissan Triple uh, S, a sedan, and Errol, um, a, a good summation of it. Thank you very much for your time. No worries, David. That's uh, Errol Smith, and as I say, we were talking about the Nissan Triple S sedan, 1.6-litre turbo. Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion, or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. And we come to the final section of the program where we ruminate about diverse issues to do with motoring and transport. And fortunately, once again, I'm joined by Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day, David. And Brian Smith. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. And Brian, you in fact have a story for us. Certainly, David. Um, many people who uh, watch superhero movies are often interested in the origin story of their favourite superhero character. Well, Batman's origin story goes back to England as a five-year-old boy saving a trapped baby. So this is a story from not so many uh, weeks ago where um, a couple of uh, grandparents had uh, made a bit of a mistake and locked um, their uh, granddaughter inside the car, which had self-locked. The keys were in the car. They were in the the car park at Tesco in East Sussex. Uh, Police were called, and they smashed the back window of the uh, VW Beetle, uh, but they couldn't reach the door. The child was inside. And along came Batman and Superman, well, five-year-old versions of them. Zavi Ahmed, um, who was dressed as Batman, offered to climb in through the back window to, to get the keys from the console. And this he did. The police uh, uh, put their coats over the uh, jagged edges of the broken rear window. Uh, Zavi climbed in uh, and uh, retrieved the keys, which allowed them to rescue the child. So uh, the grandfather was uh, very happy. He said it was it really was a case of Batman to the rescue. Uh, and as for, as for young Zavi, he always feels a bit like a superhero, he says, but that day was special. He's a deluded child, is he? <laughs> yeah, I know. He was with his mate who was dressed as Superman. What happened to Superman? Ah, well, uh, yeah. I reckon, he should have torn the door off. I reckon there was kryptonite in the car, David. Ah. No, I think he might have been dressed as Clark Kent. And, of course, now with mobile phones, there's nowhere for him to get changed. <laughs> he's still looking so for he's in, a, in one of those hats with press written on it and a nice suit. <laughs> Big, thick glasses. <laughs> it would have been perfect if the child's name was Lois, I suppose, the, the baby that was stuck in the car. Yeah, child's name was Iris Amsky. Uh, that, now, that's, Iris that's was close. my mother's name. I thought I thought that name went out a long time ago. Mm. I, uh, Iris, it's it's nice name I think, but not one that I've heard very recently. The other thing is Adamski is the name. Of course, Adam West played Batman. Of course, in mm. the television. It is a spooky uh, thing. Is is Adamski a Russian derivative <laughs> of Adam West? <laughs> I, Maybe this is all some kind of viral ad attempt. <laughs> for who knows what yet. But the penny may drop that the five year old is really a twenty four year old actor. (laughs) Peter Jackson, the Hobbit uh, filmmaker, has managed to make him small. (laughs) And it was all done in front of a green screen. (laughs) 
<laughs> and we wouldn't be then the first movie uh, aficionados who are disappointed with the treatment. Well, of course, the the publicity shot they took of the young kid in a Batman uniform leaning through with keys in hand and the little one-year-old just sitting in the car seat looks incredibly staged. Oh, yes. I, I, yeah, I believe it's uh, it has been staged afterwards to sort of demonstrate. I wonder if they've got a new rear window in the Beetle. Uh, mm. But uh, the friendship between Batman and Superman is curious too, isn't it? Of course, uh, one with superpowers, the other... No powers at all discernible, I suppose. So mm, Superman mm, he could have lifted the car up uh, if yeah. the child was trapped underneath it. But if mm. you said, look, broken window, just climb in there, Batman. I believe that's within your capabilities. I'm just going to go here <laughs> and reverse the turning of the earth or melt something with my eyes. <laughs> anyway, well, it's, ba- Batman, versus, it's <laughs> Batman versus Superman. You know, what happens when a superhero goes bad? You know, it's... <laughs> It's it's competing against each other now when you both thought they were good guys. Mm. Alien versus Predator. Same yeah. sort of deal. I, I don't know if... Um, I, I'm not sure if this was the real Batman because uh, apparently he was there with his mum. <laughs> and, of course... Um, <laughs> he was a famous orphan. Batman is an orphan. So, so uh, I wonder if this will be the time where he finds out he's adopted. <laughs> oh, no. And we could then have him sinking to his knees, looking up at the sky... Screaming, no! Because <laughs> <laughs> Zavi, the Batman-dressed uh, five-year-old, he was there with his two-year-old brother, and as you say, all his mother, Emma Ahmed. Uh, but uh, Zavi, I, I thought they might have sent the two-year-old in. He's smaller. That's why he uh, could get trapped in but, there. Uh, get trapped the, in the there Zavi too. wanted to get the publicity, I suppose. Then they'd need another superhero. <laughs> <laughs> Get Batman's baby. stuck inside the steering wheel. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, it has been lovely to talk to you. Thank you once again for your time and effort. You're very welcome. And See that's you, Brian Smith, and that's Errol Smith, and this has been some quirky news, and this has been Overdrive. And next week we're going to talk about what makes a good car ad, because Errol has the opinion of one that he doesn't like at all. A bit of a shorter version for Quirky News this week, uh, but there are some lovely stories. If you would like to listen to a longer version, go to our website at drivenmedia.com.au, including a performance feature you can add to your Tesla called the Ludicrous Mode. Lexus develops a car that shows your heartbeat on the outside, and we look at the first ever Peter Brock Holden Commodore, which went up for sale. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks especially to Errol Smith and David Campbell, Brian Smith and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated to stations across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 